0: And let us turn in God's Word to First Kings chapter 18, probably the best known passage in this section here, although there's a fair few well-known passages as we think about Mount Carmel. Kings chapter 18, we'll read together the whole of the chapter as our text and as our scripture reading this morning. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken one hundred prophets and hidden them, fifty to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock." So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now Obadiah, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, is that you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, it is I, go tell your master Elijah is here. So he said, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord my God from my youth. Was it not I? Was it not reported to my lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid one hundred men from the, of the Lord's prophets, fifty to a cave, and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, "Go to your master. Elijah is here. He will kill me." Then Elijah said, "As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today." So Abadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have, not, and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel." the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Therefore let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull from themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God." So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped upon the altar, or about the altar, which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel... Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, "'Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape.' So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, "'Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain.' So Ahab went to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, "'Go up now, look toward the sea.' So he went up and looked and said there is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. And it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up to Ahab, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot, and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab Ahab, to the entrance of Jezreel. Thus far, the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to our consideration of it this morning. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we open and as we look at God's word this morning, I've titled the sermon Showdown on Mount Carmel, but they're already at the beginning of this, there's no question, is there? We know the story. But even for Israel, there was really no question. And there ought to be no question in our minds as we live in this world today that God is going to do His perfect will. And God is going to work all things together for His glory. And we don't need to fear man. What is man going to do to us? We do not need to worry. As yes, things get darker in the world around us. Yet we have a message. We have the message of the gospel for a world that is dark in sin, that is living in futility, has no purpose of themselves. So as we look at this passage, one of the things I want us to see is how often God gives the Israelites in rebellion against Him the opportunity to repent the opportunity to turn back from their errors from their sins god is a gracious god many people have characterized the god of the old testament as this evil angry god which of course is a bad idea is an unbiblical idea but as i read through first and second kings and chronicles and and samuel I am again and again reminded of God's grace, of his calls for people back to himself. Believe, turn away from your idols. And as we look at this on Mount Carmel, we are reminded of the opportunity of Israel to turn from their idols back to the living God. And yes, They sway briefly back to Him, but they continue on their way downhill. So the theme that we want to look at as we look at God's Word this morning is God's demonstration of power briefly sways Israel back to Him from their idols. They put to death the prophets of Baal and of Asherah. So God's demonstration of power. What did Jesus say? Finally, they will not turn to Me even though one rise from the dead if they are unbelieving god needs to change our hearts to believe on him and so god's demonstration of power briefly sways israel back to them from back to him from their idols in verses 1 through 16 we see that god sends his prophet back to his people his word remember as elijah left israel the word of god was being symbolically taken away from israel And so the Word of God is returning. And with that rain as well, by the way, another miracle in this passage. And then verses 17-29, through we see that the true God challenges the, quote, prophets of Baal to a showdown. Of course, there's no showdown. Because as we read, and I love that verse, what does it say? Nobody listened. Nobody cared. The gods of the world are nothing. We don't need to fear them. We don't need to worry. We need to trust Almighty God who built, who created the universe by the word of his power. And in verses 30 through 46, we see that God's demonstration sways the hearts of Israel. We need to be reminded that it is. Not to be swayed, but we are, our hearts are to be changed. And God is the one who truly changes hearts. And it doesn't require great miracles and fire coming down from heaven. It requires the power of God's Holy Spirit. Which of course was symbolized by fire in the New Testament. So first of all, God sends His Word, His prophet back to His people. After many days in the third year, The word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, present yourself to Ahab. Remember what Elijah says later on, verse 36. I have done all these things at your word. Elijah, we're told in the New Testament, was a man of like nature as we and prayed. And for three years it did not rain. Elijah prayed that way at God's word, but he prayed that way to bring the truth of God's words to the Israelites who were rebelling against God, looking for a day in which he would have the opportunity to bring the gospel to them. And as we live in this world, we should be praying for the opportunities God would offer to us to bring the gospel to the world around us. And the famine was severe. We're reminded of that in verse 2. There was no water. And yet also, we see Obadiah. Not the Obadiah, by the way, who wrote the book. That was later on written by a prophet who was to Judah. But Ahab had called Obadiah this Obadiah and set him in charge of his house. And Obadiah was one who feared the Lord greatly. He had taken prophets, a hundred prophets, and hidden them in caves when Jezebel was massacring the prophets of the Lord. And Obadiah had been pressed into Ahab's service. Ahab, of course, at this point, is the bottom level of the worst of the worst of the kings of Israel. So Obadiah was fighting and doing bad things, right? No, Obadiah was the best servant to Ahab he could be. And so, Obadiah had the position such that he was trusted so much by Ahab that Ahab split up the land and said, You're going one way, I'm going the other. We're looking for water so we don't have to kill the livestock. He was set, Obadiah had been set over Ahab's house. Now, isn't this helping God's enemies? What better position can Obadiah have than Ahab's house to present the Gospel to him? Christians often shun things like politics and they're dirty and they're nasty. But a good place for us as Christians is to be involved in these things. To have offices within our state and within our country. Because otherwise, who's running things? Who's influencing things? They're not being used for good. And yes, it's going to be a hard thing. Guess what? Every time we as Christians take a step to do things in the service of God that are outside of our comfort zone, it's going to be hard. But on the other hand, it's putting ourselves into a place that God can use us. And so Obadiah, I doubt he even had a choice about this, but he served well. And as Obadiah's on his way, Elijah met him, verse 7. And Obadiah says, is that you, my lord Elijah? And Elijah says, it is I. Go tell your master Elijah is here. Obadiah was on his way seeking water. And Elijah comes to provide rain, but more importantly, as we've said, the word of God. And what does Obadiah do? Obadiah objects. How have I sinned that you're delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? And he goes on to tell us how much God had protected Elijah, even though Elijah had been perhaps unaware of that fact. And we have to understand, God protects us as His people, even though we may, in fact, chafe against it. He says, as the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. Obaniah knows the fervor with which Ahab had searched for Elijah. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here. It shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. And when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Remember, first by the brook. Then, by the trip, which was a tributary of the Jordan, then into Sidon to Zarephath with this poor widow. Our pathways are directed by God. And we so often don't understand. And sometimes, as I said, we chafe against these things, but God is working them out, protecting, providing. And God provides then protection for Obadiah. Obadiah says, by the way, did you hear that I had protected a hundred prophets in a cave, 50 to cave, and fed them with bread and water? Now often Christians don't know what other Christians are doing, and we expect them to somehow. But Jesus said, Matthew 6, 3, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So we shouldn't be displaying, oh, I did this good work. Now, this is not that context directly. But if we're doing that well, it's not going to be that other Christians are going to know what we're doing. Obadiah seems to assume that seeing as Elijah is God's prophet, he would know everything that was going on with him. But God doesn't do that. And so we need to love our fellow Christians, to trust them to serve God, and not be looking over their shoulders. So, he says, now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. He assumes that Elijah is going to disappear. And that if he does, Ahab is such a rotten king that he'll have him killed. But Elijah swears by God, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. And so Obadiah goes, to get Ahab with this assurance. And God then challenges the prophets of Baal to a showdown. God identifies Ahab's idolatry as the cause of Israel's trouble. What? How does Ahab greet Elijah? Love the greeting. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Verse 17... This trout is your fault. These problems are your fault and by extension, God's fault. How do we respond? And people, we see these things throughout our culture. This is God's fault. It's God's fault this direction. It's God's fault that direction. And how does... Elijah respond, verse 18, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Elijah doesn't accept his accusation. Elijah says and reminds us that the problem is not with Elijah. The problem of Israel is that they are not worshiping God and that Ahab and his father's house had directed them away from worshiping God. And as we live in our culture today, what's the problem? What's the problem? Is it the politicians this way and that way? The schools? The primary problem is we are not worshiping God and the church has not been salt and light. We have wanted to hide. In fact, as we look at this passage, I want us to be reminded of the fact that Elijah stands by himself in the midst of this. It doesn't take an army. It doesn't take ten people. It takes one person standing on the Word of God. Because first of all, God has the power, not us. And so Elijah challenges Israel to go back to serve the living, the true God. Therefore, he says, verse 19, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah. God is going to restore rain to Israel. But first of all, he's going to show him who, them who is really God. Now, why do the Israelites go along with this? God, through Elijah, was the one who had turned off the water. And guess what? They knew who could turn it back on, right? And as we live in this world who provides, God does. Their bales were impotent about their need for rain. And this was one more way in which God could show that their false religions were useless. And I was struck recently as I was studying in science. We think about all this science and we characterize this and we can use these drugs and all these different ways in which We use the things of this world. We say, oh, we're not following these things as gods. But we have to understand that God is the one who built this universe. God is the one who put it together. And all the rules by which we work are His rules. And so, yes, science, we can study these things well. But in the end, we end up with the same human ideas of prosperity, of of fertility, for provision for our earthly desires and needs. And we follow these things as gods, even though perhaps we may not have a, a, a temple with an idol in it from that perspective. These are certainly idols. These are certainly false gods. And that we are here to serve the God who created it all. The living God. Not run after this thing, that thing, this idea, that idea. And so these bales were impotent about providing rain. And our ideas, we may be able to to push things one direction or another. But finally, our abilities are nothing compared to the power of God just in a thunderstorm just in the things going on in this earth. What we have, we think we're powerful. But we can't do anything compared to the God who provides the rain, who moves water from one end of the earth to the other, to the God who stands at the end as judge, So God brought the drought and God would bring fire down on Elijah's sacrifice and God was the one who could return the rain. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel. They gathered together on Mount Carmel with the prophets. And Elijah came to all the people and he challenges them. And he says, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal... Follow Him. But the people were silent. They answered not a word. They wouldn't enter into the conversation. How often doesn't that happen? When we talk to people about the truth and the falsehoods, the lies that people believe, I don't even want to talk about it. You know, the pluralism of our culture, you believe what you want, I believe what I want, it's all true, right? Does that work in a car accident? (laughs) <laughs> then I'm right and you're wrong, right? I'm the one, you, you hit me. Well, in all things, there's truth and there's lies. And we need to know the truth. And by God's grace, we have been given the truth. Again, as we consider that, we don't look at ourselves and say, look how good I am, God gave me the truth. But we ought to be humbled by the fact that God has given us His Word to us. And so Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal not to set fire to their sacrifice. Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 415 men. I want to just briefly think about that a little bit. One of the things that I'm struck with between Elijah and Elisha is Elijah is running so often on his own. Elijah has already been told by Obadiah earlier in this chapter that he had saved a hundred prophets in caves. So technically, Elijah wasn't the only prophet. But, Elijah's the only one standing up. And brothers and sisters, are we standing up or are we hiding in the cave? What are we doing when we're challenged as Christians? We heard a little bit about it this morning in Sunday school that we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and always be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within us with meekness and fear. How do we respond when someone challenges or says something that is dead wrong? But even when we're standing alone, when we are standing for God, He stands with us. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Was it easy for Elijah? No way. God doesn't even promise us victory on this earth. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love what they say in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 3.17 If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace And He will deliver us from your hand, O King. If you kill us, at least we don't have to deal with you anymore. If God doesn't save us. The book of Revelation talks again and again about He who overcomes. That's not a picture of winning from an earthly perspective and walking out the victory of the argument. That's a perspective of these people died in the faith. Is that okay? Oh yeah, it's okay. Do we have that perspective that it's okay? Because if we stand up, the world around us is not going to appreciate it. They're going to do everything in their power to overcome. And Satan will send troubles and trials. But I like my pew. It's kind of calm and comfortable. Brothers and sisters, far better to be standing and to have even to die for Christ than to be hiding in the corner. And so Elijah is standing up there. Let him give us two bulls. Elijah says, you got 450. I'm only one. You provide the bulls. He lays out a challenge. Don't put fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods. I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, He is God. And so, the prophets of Baal, Elijah tells them, you go first. Elijah has in the mind, I believe, at the beginning, that he would sacrifice at the time of the evening sacrifice. And they could make fools of themselves. So often we, when we're talking to people, i got to get my word in first. got to listen to me. Many times a good tactic is to step back. Say, so so what are you saying here? Let them describe what they believe. Because if they're at all listening to themselves, they're going to end up saying, do I really believe that? Because the ideas of man end up twisted into piles of craziness. And so Elijah says, You guys go first. Now many people are not self-reflective enough to to see that if they don't actually have to describe it. Consider what these prophets do to try to get Baal to answer. They took the bowl that was prepared them, or given them, prepared it, called in the name of the Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. No voice, no one answered. They leaped about on the altar which they had made. First 1 Corinthians 10.20 Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. There are demons. There's a spiritual aspect to all of this. To much more than we think of in our culture today. We have to understand that. We also have to understand who's in control. 1 Corinthians 8, 4, Therefore, concerning the, things, the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is no other god than one. So these idols, they're probably involved in demons, there's a demonic world very much involved, but finally, that's nothing compared to God. And we can understand that. We don't need to fear the demonic world. People get very uptight about that aspect. God's in control. And so it was that at noon, Elijah mocked them. Cry aloud, for he is a God. He is either meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey. Elijah straight up makes fun of them. And as we look at the foolishness our world comes up with, sometimes the best answer is just making fun of them. This is crazy what you believe. And Elijah does that very clearly. In fact, when he says he's busy, the wording actually means he's using the bathroom. This world has stupid ideas when it comes to its religions and to the things they serve. And we have to understand that. We have to see that clearly. I love, Isaiah says it a number of times. Psalm 115 here, I want to look at briefly, verses 3-8. through But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes they have, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses they have, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. Now we might say, oh, those are those idols. Brothers and sisters, this continues today. People think that this world is going to talk to us, that Mother Nature and these different things, and that they're serving silver and gold and pleasure and and earthly peace. They're the same ideas. They just have kind of sanitized them of the idols themselves. But they have all of these same perspectives. And yet, they still end up unable to do anything for us finally. But the question for us is do we treat God that way? Do we think God's not going to do anything? We have to understand the God of the universe created this universe. God who saves sinners is the one who works all things together. The the psalmist puts it, the hearts of the kings... I think it's actually Solomon writing in Proverbs, but anyway, the hearts of the kings are in the Lord's hands, and he turns them as he turns the water brooks. God directs the direction of the water brooks. And God directs the hearts of kings. And what do they do? They cry aloud, they cut themselves as was their customs with knives and lances. Until the blood gushed out on them. This is insane. But again, so also are so many of the ideas that false religions come up with today. That we can serve this world. That we can serve the things of this world. That we can serve the idea of of pleasure. And this is what's going to make us happy. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. And as I said in the middle of this passage, my favorite verse for this passage, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. We've got to understand that as we live in this world. People are serving all sorts of crazy things. They can't do anything for them no one's even noticing but the god of the universe he hears our prayers he directs all things he provides for us and so god's demonstration sways the hearts of israel they don't take they don't get off of their pathway of judgment and of destruction but elijah prepares his sacrifice and how does he prepare a sacrifice With water. Elijah calls for the people. He says, Come near. He doesn't build a new altar, he rebuilds an old one because he's saying, This is the old religion. Baal worship is the new kid on the block. And Elijah takes 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Notice 12, not 10 for the tribes that were brought to Jeroboam, but 12. They were part of all of Israel. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and made a trench around the altar big enough to hold two sias of seed. Now, a seah is about nine quarts, so 18 and a half quarts, four and a half gallons of water in dust, dry earth. And he put wood in order. Cut the bull in pieces. Lay it on the wood. We all know how that works. Fill four water pots with water and pour it On the burnt sacrifice of wood. In the middle of this drought, Elijah says, four water pots, pour it on. Now these were probably approximately 20 gallons shot. It's a lot of water. So that it was drenched. The water ran all around, filled with trench. And it came to pass at the time of the evening of sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and I have done these things at your word. Notice the three things that Elijah desires God to demonstrate by this. That God is God. That Elijah is his servant. And that these things weren't done randomly. They were done at God's word. It didn't take all day, this prayer. It wasn't big and complex. He just called upon God. And brothers and sisters, think of all the different ways in which, you know, even in our own lives, we try to get this working right, we try to get that working right, to do this, to do that. I think of getting prepared to move Now, we work, but God's the one who blesses. Remember what we read in James 5, 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruits. God hears our prayers. We don't have to do crazy things to get His attention. And he's not using the bathroom when we call. He's ready to hear. Wanting to hear. We have access because his son made that access available to us. And the fire of the Lord came down and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood, the stones, the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Of course, Elijah knew what was coming. But the people didn't because they didn't believe it's so easy for us to expect, well, God's not going to do anything. God hears our prayers. He uses our prayers. God ordains not only what happens, but God ordains how it comes to pass. And God uses us in our prayers, in our labors, to bring about His will. And so Elijah calls out to the people, as they cry out, the Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. They even are ready to do the will of God regarding the false prophets. See, as the prophets of Baal, let none, not one escape, verse 40. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them. Now he brought the prophets of Baal to the brook Kishon, which normally was a decent sized river, but it had been shrunk by the drought. And there Elijah returns Jezebel's evil on them, killing them. And this is, of course, a short lived victory in Israel's history, but God is giving Ahab and Jezebel and the Israelites the opportunity to see the truth of his word and turn back to him. Now, it's pretty harsh. But sometimes harshness reminds us. I'm sad to say, remember on 9 11, a lot of people turn back for a while, but that they turn back for the long term. Big events will make people think, but it requires finally the Spirit of God working in their hearts that they would actually turn to Him. And believe. And God sends heavy rain. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is sound of abundance of rain. After killing the prophets, Elijah tells Ahab to go up and feast because there's the sound of rain. But what's coming? Nothing at this point. We can act on God's promises more certainly than we can act with what we see with our eyes. Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to mount the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground, put his face between his knees. While Ahab is sent to go feast, Elijah's praying. He said to his servant, go now, look toward the sea. And he looked and he said, there is nothing. And seven times He did this. The first six times, there's nothing. We're called to pray. Pray without ceasing. And sometimes we can pray for months, even years. It seems like God's not doing what we want. Well, first of all, we need to be open to God saying no or wait. Wait. But we're called to pray, to be in prayer often. Think about Jesus saying to the disciples, this kind does not come out except with much prayer and fasting. We need to be in prayer again and again and again for the long term. And on the seventh time, there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. Little bitty cloud. And what does Elijah say? He sends again to Ahab and says, prepare your chariot, you need to get to Jezreel. Elijah addresses Ahab one more time. God's prophet, who had been hidden and hiding because of Ahab's anger and threats, Elijah brings the message of relief to Ahab as well. Israel had turned from their false worship briefly, and God is merciful. But this only makes them all the more responsible to God because they had seen who provides rain, who provides fire. God does. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and winds and there was heavy rain, so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And God sends rain, a lot of rain. I don't know how many times we've heard, especially out in California, oh, the, 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 the reservoirs are so, so empty, there's never going to be water for them again. hundred years. They're full right now. It's usually in a year or so. Because who's in control of the rain? God is. Who's in control of all of these things? And it reminds me of the Titanic. What'd they say about the Titanic? Even God can't sink her. <laughs> I think that's a pretty dumb thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> And we gotta laugh at it because we come up with stuff and we say, look how big, how powerful we are as human beings. We got the science stuff figured out. What's science? Well, the next person should be questioning the previous science, shouldn't they? We need to think about it. And first of all, above all comes God in obedience to Him. But so often we think our power, our ability, the might of my arm has provided this kingdom for me. Remember, that's what Nebuchadnezzar said, right? But God is the one who provides. God is the one who gives the victory. And God is the one who can change the hearts of even the hardest people against Him. And that's the beauty of the God we serve. We don't live in this world afraid of man. What can man do to me? We are here to serve the God of the universe who does all things and can do all His perfect will. And so even in this, Elijah sends Ahab to Jezreel and Elijah beats Ahab to Jezreel. God, by His Spirit, sends Elijah ahead of him. God's the one. And God's word. As we as human beings live on this earth, we so easily want to convince people by our words to make a splash, make ourselves important. It's not about us. It's about the God of the universe. It's about Almighty God. And so as Elijah addresses Ahab, Elijah, this little man as we saw last Lord's Day, I believe it was a man out of a small town in Israel, not important from an earthly perspective. God uses him mightily. And God uses him to bring the Gospel even to a king and to a people, yes, who for the long term would not turn. God gives the opportunity to repent. And God changes things. God does His will. And God can use us. It's not about how big and how important we are. Remember, that's why James talks about that. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It didn't rain on the earth for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, right? Our prayers are important, powerful, used by God. Our small, individual, little things are not from an earthly perspective powerful, but who are we serving? If we're serving God with them, God can use them and does use them mightily. And so as we live in this world, we are called to serve Christ. Christ to glorify Christ in our lives. And as we live in a world which can be fairly intimidating with all the things going on, we're called to bring God's good news to a world that most of the time will reject Him. But God changes hearts. And God changes lives. And so as we, as we walk in this world, we don't need to fear man. We need to fear God. We need to bring His Gospel to bear upon the world around us and pray. God is the one who can change it. And He will change it. Amen. Let us bow before our God in prayer and we'll close this prayer together with the Lord's Prayer. Let us rise for that prayer. Almighty, gracious, heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that we would not put our trust in man's abilities, in the number of people but that our trust, our hope would be in the God of the universe. We pray, Lord, that we would not be intimidated by man. But indeed, that we would have a righteous fear of you. And at that same time, Lord, that we would be used of you in a culture that has so often rejected you to bring the gospel, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that is so in need. And we thank you that it is not in our power, not in the perfection of our words. But it is in your power that you change hearts, that you change lives. Use us, Lord. Use us to bring that gospel to this world. And use that gospel within our own lives. As we consider our own trials, our own problems. Help us, Lord, to be guided by your word, by your gospel day by day. We pray, Lord, that You would glorify Yourself in us individually, as members of Your church, as members of Christ. We pray above all, Lord, that, our, that You would glorify Yourself in us. We pray, Lord, not because we are worthy, but we pray for the sake of our Savior praying as He taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven,